Good morning. Everybody good? It's a new day, that means? New mercies, that's right. Um, I do want to just give a plug to uh, what just happened here a little while ago. I'm pretty sure that uh, when all the kids were here singing, there were more kids on this stage a while ago than when we first started the church five years ago. So that's, that's really neat that God is growing us, whether it's the old-fashioned way. Uh, some of our families are a little bit larger than they used to be back then, but uh, God is, is growing the church. And just to see that many kids uh, learning about Christ and learning the gospel and learning God's word, it's just an amazing thing. Um, Perry and Becky Cotton are doing such a great job trying to like leading that area. That is a ginormous work that they do. So I'm in, we should all be indebted or we are indebted to them. Uh, and all of you, there are many of you that are in here today that help out back there. That's a, that's a big thing. That is like our most important mission field in life. If we miss it with the kids, might as well just not worry about everything else that we do around here. So thank you to all of you who are serving. Uh, and those of you who are not, uh, I'll get you your paperwork to sign up after the service there because we definitely need more help there. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, please open up to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first book of the New Testament. And open up to Matthew chapter 16. We're in a series entitled Extraordinary. The word extraordinary means remarkable, exceptional, outstanding. It means phenomenal. It means prodigious. I looked that one up. It means prodigious. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that day, referring to those of us who are his followers, he came that we would have life and have it abundantly. The word abundantly there, like I've shared the last few weeks, is the Greek word perisos, which literally means extraordinary. So what Jesus says in that verse is, I came that you may have life extraordinary. Jesus came that we would have a phenomenal life, an outstanding life, a prodigious life. So in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you're one of my followers, you will see and do greater things than I did. So imagine that. So if those of us who are followers of Christ, the promise of Jesus himself is that we will see and do greater things. I think if we're seeing and doing greater things than what even Jesus did 2,000 years ago, I would say that that's an extraordinary life. Would you not say? And then Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, those who are my followers, you will receive the Holy Spirit and receive power. Well, dare I say, if we are followers of Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit and the power of God, I think that would make for extraordinary life, right? How about this? Lamentations chapter 3. It says that those who are followers of Christ, we can be sure and trust that every day God will provide new mercies each and every day full of God's blessings upon us. So if you know that every day God is going to provide new mercies for you, would you say that then that would be living an extraordinary life? Yeah. How about Romans chapter 8, where it says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. So all who are followers of Jesus, you know what the promise is? God is, I'll take your brokenness and your hardships, your stress and your tears, and I will redeem it all. In my hands, nothing is wasted. 
I will turn all things for the good. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you know that to be true, you can live with that kind of hope and joy, knowing that nothing is wasted in God's hands, would you say that you would then live an extraordinary life if you knew that to be true? Absolutely. So here's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he says, I came to give you extraordinary, like abundant life. I came that you would have a greater things, Holy Spirit empowered, new mercies, nothing is wasted kind of life. Sounds good, right? Well, if that is true, why is it that so many Christians, as opposed to living that kind of extraordinary life, how come it is that so many of us are living just an ordinary life? Why is that the case? And so I propose this morning that it might be that we are dealing with spiritual disorientation. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of spatial disorientation, This is like a concept that I I got introduced to almost 20 years ago. So on July 16th, 1999, if you happen to be old enough, um, John F. Kennedy Kennedy Jr. died on that day. He crashed his plane that he was flying into the Atlantic Ocean about seven miles west of uh, Martha's Vineyard. And the investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board concluded that Kennedy fell victim to spatial disorientation. Well, what is that? It's the inability of a person to accurately determine their true body position. Their inability to determine their their motion, like which way am I really going? Their inability to uh, determine their altitude relative to the earth. Like the inability to know, am I one foot off the earth or 35,000 feet off the earth? So this is a very common phenomenon with pilots. It happens to divers, those who go deep sea diving. It's the, it basically, it's just uh, the losing of your bearings. So what happens when someone is spatially disoriented, you really don't know what up is up or down is down and you get confused. You lose your, your, your ability to track direction. You think you're going straight, but you're actually banking right. But your senses are lying to you, and you don't know the difference. You think you're ascending when, in fact, you're actually descending. And that's what happened to JFK Jr. on that day. He didn't have an instrument rating. So he didn't have the training to properly navigate based on the instruments. He just hadn't had the training. By law, legally, he was not allowed to fly during bad weather. Well, the day that he was flying, it was inclement, bad, terrible weather. There was like no visibility. He couldn't make any landmarks at all. He couldn't see the horizon. It's clouds, it's rain, it's dark. So he's flying through this mess with no sense of what's up, right, left, down, or whatnot. So it's in the middle of that that he became spatially disoriented. He thought he was flying right, He thought he was flying in the right direction. He thought he was heading in the right trajectory, but his senses lied to him. He he got off direction, and before he knew any better, before he realized the problem, he crashed into the ocean waters. Well, here's the thing. Just the same way that we can become spatially disoriented, we can become spiritually disoriented. We can think that we're in the proper spiritual position or, in the, or undergoing the proper spiritual motion or heading in the right spiritual direction. We can 
think those things are true when the reality is the complete opposite. We can think that we're going the right direction and be completely off course. We can think we're ascending when the reality is that we're descending. So it's not possible to enjoy the extraordinary life that Jesus offers if we're spiritually wonky and can't even tell up from down, left from right. So to combat, and we need to combat, the potential, the very real danger of spiritual disorientation. And the way that we do that is by faith. It's actually through faith that we combat that. Living the extraordinary life Jesus offers requires faith. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us we walk by faith, not by sight. So visibility in this world is poor. Spiritually speaking, visibility is poor, and it's really easy for us to get off course and not even know it. The only way to make it safely through this world is through faith. It's through faith. And true faith is how we stay true to our true north. Faith is how we keep from getting spiritually disoriented. Faith is how we enjoy the extraordinary, phenomenal, prodigious, excellent, exuberant life that Jesus offers. Here's the thing, though. I fear that there is a great misunderstanding about what faith actually is. I think it's not a term that's defined properly or at least biblically at large. Well, good for us. We got Matthew 16. And Jesus himself is actually going to describe and define what real faith is so that we can live the life that he offers. So look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So notice how that verse, that sentence from Jesus is bracketed. It begins with the the phrase right there, if anyone would come after me. You know what he's saying there? If anyone would follow me. It's a synonym. How does he end the phrase? Follow me. So Jesus is saying, if anyone would follow me, follow me. You see how that verse is bracketed that way? And Jesus isn't just simply stating the obvious, or he's not just being circular or like redundant, like, well, duh, if you want to follow, then of course follow. He's making an incredible point here in that verse. He's actually teaching us what faith is. And it's simply this, faith is following. That's biblical faith. Faith is following. There is no Christian faith apart from following Christ. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And so what Jesus then, what he's going to do here is that he's going to tell us something profound about what following means. And there's two parts, two essential elements of following. So just bear with me here. So faith is following. There's two parts to following. The first one is following requires a decision. Following requires a decision. So this is what Jesus means on the front end of verse 24. If anyone would follow, if anyone would come after me, he's referring to an individual's desire 
or choosing to follow. That's the front end of it. Following requires a decision. There's plenty in my life that I didn't choose. I was born in New Jersey. I didn't choose that. I mean, it is the garden state after all, but I didn't choose to be born in Jersey. There was one day many years ago when I was stung by 28 hornets all at one time. I promise you, I did not choose that moment in my life. I would have chosen something very much different. I have, however, I did graduate from Carolina. That was not an accident. That was on purpose. I chose to go there. I matriculated, enrolled, went to class, studied, and got my degree. That was not an accident. I chose that. I'm married to Jamie. That's not by accident. Besides just having mad game, it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. She chose to marry me. I chose to marry her. Like there was a a choice. It didn't happen by accident. That's Jesus' point in verse 24. We don't just drift into following him. We don't just accidentally one day wake up, huh, I'm a follower of Jesus. How did that happen? Like, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if I was one yesterday, but today I'm a follower of Jesus. How in the world did that happen? That just, it doesn't happen that way. The point here is that a person must want to follow Jesus if anyone would come after me. So does anyone want to come after Jesus, exercise their will, and actually make a deliberate, conscientious, deliberate, definitive decision to follow him? I, Rick Gutierrez here of Cell Mind, choose to follow Jesus. That's the point here. And just understand this, that believing is not the same thing as choosing. Believing is essential and necessary. Believing in Christ, accurately knowing who Jesus is, that he is God the Son, a member of the triune head, the Godhead of God. Knowing who he is and what he's done for us is absolutely vital and essential. But simply believing it is not the same as choosing. The demons believe. Doesn't do them any good. What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes, that verse is true, but it doesn't tell us everything. And so we need the rest of Scripture to speak into. And so in Matthew 16, Jesus is qualifying what he means by belief in John 3, which is if you believe to accurately, rightly believe, then you choose. There has to be a choice. The second thing that Jesus is telling us in verse 24 is that following requires dedication. So it requires a decision, but it requires dedication. If you choose to follow me, then follow me. The choice to follow must be met with a commitment to follow. Like this is more than just talk. It's more than just sentiment. This is resolve. This is endurance. This is perseverance. You know, I know that Scripture tells us that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works. The following here is not works that save us. 
The following here is just simply true faith revealing itself. You understand the distinction, the difference there? It's not that what we do, I'm a follower of Jesus and my following is what saves me or gets me to heaven. It's not that. It's that the grace that saves me through faith, that kind of faith results in devotion to Jesus. So true faith always results in faithfulness to Christ. The typical misconception of the word faith is that it's a synonym for the word belief. And that's just simply not the case. That's not true. True faith requires belief, but it goes way beyond just belief. So here's an illustration that I use often. Right outside our building is a tree. I know that there's a tree there. I've seen it. So I believe that there's a tree there. So what? What difference does it make? Well, if I just stop there, it really makes no difference other than it's just knowledge, right? But here's, where, here's the difference between belief and faith. Faith is, I know that there's a tree there. I believe that there's a tree there. I'm actually now going to hang a swing underneath one of its branches. And I'm going to sit in that swing. And I'm going to let my weight drop into that swing. And I'm going to trust that tree to hold me up. And I'm going to swing. And I'm going to sit underneath that tree's branches during the summer and enjoy its shade. And I'm going to drink lemonade there. You see the difference? Like that is faith. So true faith isn't just I believe in Jesus. True faith is I follow Jesus. It's believing in Jesus to the point that you trust him and you entrust your life to him, that you give your life to him. It's saying I believe in Jesus to the point that I'm going to hang a swing underneath Jesus. I'm going to sit in that swing and I'm going to let my weight drop. And I'm going to trust for him to hold me up. And underneath Jesus, I'm going to swing. And I'm going to drink lemonade, and I'm going to enjoy the shade that only Jesus provides. Real faith is not static. Like, belief by itself is simply static. Faith is active. Faith is alive. Faith is lived and displayed and demonstrated. This is Jesus' point in verse 24. Those who truly choose him, truly commit to follow him. True faith in Jesus always results in faithfulness to Jesus. I know we sin. I know we backslide. I know we mess up. I know we didn't do it great yesterday. We probably haven't done it great for 30 years. But there is a faithfulness in the heart of a true follower that always is showing itself. And there's a tracking forward that goes there. So the actual decision is made, is, it comes with actual dedication to Christ. How many times has this happened? A person has this, this kind of cathartic, emotional, religious experience. Oh, I'm all about Jesus. And then you never see them again. Well, what was that all about? There was like a choice in a sense, but the choice wasn't real. Because the choice never resulted in fruit. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? It produces apples. I don't believe it's an apple tree because it tells me it's an apple tree. I believe it's an apple tree because it produces apples. How do you know someone's an actual follower of Jesus? Not simply because they say, well, I chose him at some point. No, there is fruit in our lives that shows that the decision was, in fact, real. That's Jesus' point here. 
True faith in Jesus always results in faithfulness for Jesus. Theologically, we refer to this as the perseverance of the saints. Those who are of the faith endure to the end. God works in us. He does something amazing in us, and it displays itself throughout our lives to the very end and into the next life. So that is what true faith is. True faith is following. Following means making an actual decision and for that decision to be met with actual commitment to Jesus. So if you're in here this morning and you're spiritually disoriented, I don't know what up is the difference between up and down, left, right, backwards, and forwards. I'm kind of lost in the haze of this world. If you're like, you know what, I'm really not experiencing the extraordinary abundant life that Jesus offers, but I propose that it might be the result that you've never actually chosen Jesus. You may believe in him to some sense. Well, I've always believed. That's not the same as choosing. Has there ever been a choice where you devote your heart to him. Or maybe that did happen at some point, but it was never met with the commitment, so that choice maybe wasn't real. Or maybe the choice was real, but you've drifted. And so now you got to kind of rededicate or realign your life. The point is that the extraordinary life cannot be lived apart from actual faith, and faith is following. It's not just lip service. It's not just Sunday morning. It is steadfast faithfulness to the Lord. So before we go any further, I think we need to actually unpack what it means to actually follow Jesus. So the verse is bracketed, right? If you choose to follow me, then follow me. Well, in between, it actually tells us what it means to follow. So look at verse uh, verse 24 again. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So here's what following means. Denying ourselves. This is what it means. Is that not completely at odds with basically everything that is in us? That is completely at odds with our sinful tendency to be all about like self-interest. Folks, that goes completely in the face of this incredible bent that we have to just advance ourselves, to promote ourselves, to concentrate on ourselves, to make it all about me, to look out for number one all the time, to be self-centered. And so Jesus here is telling us to be the complete opposite of every fiber in our being. If you Doubt the truth that we are such self-centered, self-absorbed, self-seeking, self-promoting people. Let me just ask you this. Why do you think social media is a multi-billion dollar industry? Why? You have companies who are making millions and billions of dollars. Why? Because they're providing you with a platform to promote yourself. Look at me. Look at me, y'all. My life is great. Look at my new outfit. (laughs) Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my kids. Look at me. Look at my life. Is it not wonderful? Selfie up high because I won't see the double chance up high. (laughs) Duck face. (laughs) It's got to be the duck face. Why? uh... Look at me. It's all like promotion. Of self, 
Oh, it's not just the celebrities that get to have it. I get to now be on the interwebs. And people, all 10 of my friends can like my picture. If it's only nine, I'm devastated. Or if it's not good stuff, it's also the bad. This is just as much self-seeking and self-absorbed. Look at how awful my life is and look at how the, the crisis that I'm going through. Woe is me. Pity me, everybody. Pity me. Please pity me. Either way, it's look at me, look at me. People are mean to me. Life isn't kind to me. It's still promoting self, is it not? So the, the entire social media industry is these companies literally keeping you oriented towards self, which is the very definition of spiritual disorientation. When it's all about me, all about you, that is what Jesus is warning us against. So what he says is, if you truly choose me, if you really truly are committed to following me, then you are, by definition, deciding and choosing to deny yourself. And you are choosing and deciding to be committed to denying yourself. In other words, true faith always means self-denial. True faith is always self-denying. And that does not mean that you deny the reality of your problems or the reality of your trials or the reality of your needs or the reality of your hardships. It's not denying that. It's just simply saying, instead of focusing on my needs, my trials, my problems, my hardships, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to trust God to take care of my needs, my trials, my hardships. Meanwhile, instead of me focusing on my stuff, I'm just going to focus on helping others. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what it means to follow. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on other people. You know what? I believe God loves me. I believe God is faithful. I believe he's all-powerful. I think he's the God of greater things. I think he's the God who empowers me. I think he's the God of new mercies. I think he's the God who takes stuff and turns it around so nothing is wasted. He knows me more than I know me. He knows my needs before I even know them. I trust him explicitly, complicitly in every regard. And as a result of that, I'm just not going to fret over me anymore and I'm going to devote my energies to loving others. Is it, I think it's interesting that the Bible never tells us to love ourselves, Not a single time. You know why? Because God loves us. And that's enough. Folks, that's enough. If the creator of the universe, sovereign God, loves me, why do I need to worry about me? Let him worry about me, and he ain't worried about it. He's got it. So meanwhile, what I should do is just devote my energy and my resources to helping the people around me. Denying self, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Parents, teach your children well. The song just went through my head. Because they are, they are the future. Teach them well, let them lead the way. That's a different song. <laughs> Teach your children, disciple them, love your spouse, love your neighbor. Look at where their needs, and just go take care of those needs. That's self-denial. And I know that these words, they cut against the grain but Jesus isn't being like calling us to being a masochist. That's not what it is. He knows what's good for us, and he knows that it's completely unhealthy for us to be self-absorbed. It disorients us. 
It clouds the visibility so we can't make it through life very well. So here Jesus is saying, instead of that, don't be distracted by self to live the extraordinary life, folks. you got to follow, and to follow means you deny yourself. Love God, love others. Let the chips fall where they may. So verse 24 tells us that following Jesus means denying self. Following Jesus also means taking up our cross. How would you react if someone walked up to you and said, um, you need to take up your electric chair? Sounds weird, right? That's exactly how it sounded to the people in the first century when Jesus says, take up your cross. In the first century, when Jesus spoke that, the Roman custom for crucifixion was to have the condemned person carry the horizontal beam, the crossbar, Take it from here to there. There, that beam is going to be joined to the vertical bar, and there you're going to be nailed to a cross where you're going to die. So anytime a person was said, take up your cross, it literally was a death sentence. It meant death. So Jesus' point here is that true faith means following, and following means death. Death. Following Jesus means crucifixion of selfishness crucifixion of self-centeredness, crucifixion of the sin in our lives, self-absorption, greed. To take up our cross means that the things of the world in us and our striving for the things of the world and promoting self, that we are nailing it to a cross that it would die. Sounds pleasant. And in fact, it is a slow, slow agonizing process that once a person makes that choice, that real decision to follow Jesus, we spend the rest of our life crucifying the flesh. We spend the rest of our life nailing our selfishness to the cross. We spend the rest of our life taking up the cross. This is not a once and done, I wish it were, but it's not a once and done. It is a constant, ongoing, daily, I take up my cross because everything in me wants to make everything about me. So every day I have to pick it up. I have to pick it up, take up the cross, got to crucify it. Well, I've been a Christian 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and, and I'm still, still selfish. It's still there. Why is it still there? Because I thought I had crucified it to to the cross. Well, here's why it's still there. You know that when a person would be crucified, they didn't die instantly. They agonize for a long time, hours and days. So in this life, spiritually, it's the same thing. When we become a follower of Jesus, the sin nature is getting crucified, but it's going to be around for a while. And so it's agonizing and painful as God uproots this stuff out of our life and as we take up our cross daily. So if this is what it means to follow Jesus, deny myself and take up my cross, why in the world would I ever choose Jesus? Well, Jesus answers the question for us in verses 25 through 27. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? 
For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Folks, there are two lives. It's what Jesus is getting to. There are two lives. There's the life that we are living in right now, and there's the life after this one. This life is fleeting. This life is here today, folks, and it's gone today. Have you, do you recognize how fleeting this life is? It's March. It was New Year's two days ago. So Friday morning, like I usually do, I had one of the morning news shows on, and uh, they were interviewing randomly Kirk Cameron. And uh, they, were, they showed a clip from the show we all know him for, from, if you're old enough, Growing Pains. The interviewer then said, that was a scene from Growing Pains from 30 years ago. And me and Jamie looked at each other and out loud said at the same time, 30 years? <laughs> what happened? And just this morning with the praise team, we were talking about a CD that came out 25 years ago. Like, what happened? I was in college. For example, I'm 45 years old. I just got my license two weeks ago. I swear I did. <laughs> Man, I blinked and I woke up and I'm 45. I blinked and I woke up middle age. It doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. It sounds like a practical joke. Like, no, like I'm like looking at the calendar. I'm like, surely my math is off. Like, this, this doesn't make any sense. And I'm actually afraid to blink again because the last time I blinked, I woke up, I was 45. The next time I blink, I'm going to be in hospice. <laughs> I did actually say this to Jamie Friday morning. I said, Jamie, when I'm in hospice, I want a McFlurry machine in the room. <laughs> it's going to be here before I know it, so I'm just planning ahead. That, that moment is quickly approaching when I'm going to face that moment that I breathe my last breath. Folks, this life is fleeting, and when that moment comes, I'm going to step into the next life. That life is radically different than this one. That life has no end. That life will never cease. That life is forever. So knowing that that is true, that this life is here like a flash and gone, and the next one is eternal, we have to weigh Jesus' words here. We have to weigh them and measure them and ask the question, am I living for the things of this life, or am I living for the things of that life? Am I following after the things of the world, or am I following Jesus into the next world? Which is it? Because it's mutually exclusive. It's a zero-sum game. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said you can't have two masters. It's either one or the other. So is it Jesus or is it the world? What are you following? So let's make a deal real quick. Or how about I offer this just maybe as an option for you. Here's a dollar. You can have a dollar. Or you can have $10 million. Easy choice. No tricks. No tricks. Straight up. Would you take a dollar or $10 million? Or how about this? How about I offered you a half-day vacation package to partly cloudy Irwin, North Carolina? 
you got to pay your way there and you got to pay for all your meals. Or an all-inclusive, all-expenses-paid, lifelong stay in Maui. Which one do you choose? Ain't no one on earth saying Irwin. The point is that we can become so spiritually disoriented that we actually spend our lives grabbing a dollar, the dollar of this world, rather than the riches of eternity in Christ. No sane person does that. No one picks Irwin over Maui. No sane person does that. Who, knowing that this world is gone just like that, chooses the trinkets of this world over the eternal, everlasting, forever glories of the riches of God's grace forever? That's what Jesus is calling us to to do, to make this decision. You know, everything on earth, and some of you know this by now, everything on earth breaks, burns, corrodes, crashes, dies, decays, decomposes, erodes, expires, fades, fails, molds, rots, gets eaten, gets stolen by moths, gets stolen by moths, gets eaten by moths too, right? It gets old, it gets tired, it gets outdated, it gets unfashionable, it's outmoded, it becomes obsolete, it gets old, tired, wears down, wears out. Everything down here, everything. In whatever moment of joy any of this stuff actually brings to us, It's but a flash. And what Jesus is saying is, I have a kingdom of unending glory, riches of love and mercy, an ocean of joy and delight. What do you want? Do you want the dollar that this world offers, or do you want the kingdom of God? So that's that's the option before us. In his kingdom lies the extraordinary, prodigious, excellent life that we all want and that we all need. And it is found in him and in him alone. Missionary Jim Elliott said very famously, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The wise thing is to actually let go of our grip of pursuing the things of the world because the things of this world are temporary and transient and they can't actually satisfy us anyway and we can't even keep them. The wise thing to do is to grab onto that which is eternal. It can actually satisfy our soul. And it's not only wise because that's the case, it's also the wise thing because... It can't be lost. It cannot be taken away from us. And the reason it can't be lost is because it's been secured by Jesus. You know, we celebrate the cross. We marvel and we boast and we rejoice in the wonderful cross of Jesus. You know, Jesus is God Almighty. And it tells us that he denied himself in Scripture. He denied himself. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that though he was God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of man. God Almighty denied his God status and came into this world and became one of us. He denied himself. And he lived among us and he was tempted in every way, yet he never sinned. 
And then the day came when he took up his cross. And he took up the cross to secure our entrance into the right side of eternity. He took up his cross to rescue us from crashing into the ocean of judgment. Like Jesus not only took up his cross, folks, on the cross, he took up our sin. He took our sin upon us. Your selfishness and your greed and your lust and your malice and your gossip and your, and your it's the ugliness, the immorality, your judgment of other people. Jesus says, I will take that upon myself. I will pay the price that you may be forgiven. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to atone for your sins. I'm going to make amends and reparations for your sin that you may have life and have it abundantly. And now whosoever believes in him is forgiven. Sin is washed away, and like the kids were singing earlier, it ain't coming back. It ain't coming back. Like he takes the sin and he removes it. We're wiped clean. We're wiped clean in Christ. All who say yes to him, meaning, yes, Jesus, I choose you, and yes, Jesus, I will commit to follow you, we will follow him into the next life. We will follow him into glory forever and ever and ever. And it's all because Jesus secured it. That's extraordinary. And there ain't no one that can take it away. Romans chapter 8 tells us that nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It can't be taken away. You can't lose it. That's extraordinary. And the way that we grab on to the love of God is by this thing that we call faith. Faith is our heart reaching to grab this gift that God offers. But the thing is, you can't grab on to what God offers if you're grabbing on to the world. If your hands are full grabbing to stuff down here, you can't grab what Christ is offering. So you got to let go. So you have to make a decision. Do you want the dollar that the world offers of the glories of God's everlasting kingdom? Let go to dollar. Let go to dollar. There's nothing that spiritually disorients us more than our desire for worldly comforts and worldly luxury. Nothing. There's a reason why Jesus said that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You know that Jesus taught more about money and our appetite for it and trying to break us free of it than, than heaven and hell combined? There's a reason for that because it's so disorienting. Faith is how we combat against that impulse that we have to make it all about the things of the world. So you know what faith looks like every day? It's every day you rebuking that part in you that is seeking the things of the world. Every day, like, say it out loud if you have to. No, no, that thing in me that wants the things of the world, I'm saying no to, I'm denouncing it, I'm rejecting it, I'm squashing it to fix my attention on the Lord and help other people while I'm at it. That's faith. It's rebuking it, actually rebuking it in your heart. What faith is, is actually praying each and every day, Lord, the flesh is weak. I'm saying this to you, Lord, I want to follow you, but in a moment I'm going to get distracted because I'm going to see the brand new truck that just came out, and I don't have a brand new truck, and I want a brand new truck. 
So God, help me to not be concerned about that stuff because that stuff doesn't matter. It's probably going to break down the week after I buy it anyway, so who cares? It's just aggravation. But Lord, help me to follow you. I don't want to follow the things of the world and my flesh is weak, so help me. Folks, that's faith. That's how we act on faith every day. So rebuke that desire. Pray for it. You know what else faith looks like? Following requires fellowing. What faith in Jesus looks like is I need other followers of Jesus around me. I need true Christian fellowship, others to hold me accountable and to encourage me because I'm weak. I can't do this on on my own. I can't do this on my own. So I need others. I need brothers and sisters in Christ. Following requires fellowing. I need followers. So those that try to do it by themselves, they're not acting on faith, and you're going to be spiritually disoriented. But you need others, God's people around you all the time. There's an old Jewish blessing that says, be covered in your rabbi's dust. And this goes back over 2,000 years. It was a privilege to be a disciple of a specific rabbi. Not everybody got to be. So you had to go through the the online course and and do all the paperwork and get applications and references. And then the rabbi would say, okay, you can be one of my disciples. So you would be like allowed to be one of this person's disciples. And then the blessing was, may you be so close to your rabbi, so closely walking with them, that as the rabbi walks down the dusty rows, that they're literally kicking up dust on you. Be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It was a wonderful thing, a wonderful blessing. Folks, that's what Christianity is supposed to be. Walking so close to the good rabbi, the good teacher, Jesus Christ, that his dust is covered, has covered us. So are you walking and you following Jesus so closely that his joy is kicked up on you, that his wisdom is kicked up on you, that his power is kicked up on you, his mercy, his gentleness, his faithfulness, that it's kicked up on, on you. That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of following that results in extraordinary life. You have to be following Jesus closely. That's faith. That's faith. So we need to do some soul searching, and I'll just ask a few questions. Where is your faith? Is it in Christ, or is it in the things of the world? And if you're not sure then all you need to do is look at what it is that you're following. Because the truth is, we follow what we have faith in, and we have faith in what we follow. So what is it that you actually follow each and every day, each and every week? Those who follow this world lose their life. Those who follow Jesus find life. And I promise you this. There's not a person who's ever lived who chose Jesus and was committed to Jesus who got to the end of their life and said, if I had to do it again, I'd just go the other way. Not a single one. And I guarantee you there are many, many, many on the other side who said, if I could do it again, I would have followed Jesus. So what decision do you need to make knowing that this world has nothing to offer and that it's fleeting? What decision do you need to make? I would ask that we would follow him 
in this life and into the next. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a closing song. And I do want us to think and to reflect. I think that any time that we open up God's word and we preach God's truth and there's a, an explanation of the gospel and who Jesus is, every time there's a call for us to take a step. Everyone in here, there's a step that you need to take. And for some, it might be to choose Jesus for the first time. You've never really done that. That might be where you are today. I need to follow him. I need to choose him today. For some, you may say, well, I, think, I thought I'd done that before, but I guess it wasn't real because my life really has shown no faithfulness. So today, I'm actually going to commit in a real way to steadfast faithfulness to the Lord. There may be some of you in here today that, yeah, that decision was real and, and, you were, and you meant it when you committed yourself to Christ, but you have drifted and wandered and you've disoriented and you're chasing the things of the world. And so today, God is telling you, I love you. I forgive you. Turn back. You may be in here today and you recognize that you have spent your life looking for luxury and comforts and that all you care about is the promotion and a bigger 401k. Your life is full of jealousy because you don't have what so-and-so has. Because your heart is just eat up with a desire for the things of the world which can't satisfy. So what is God asking you to confess right now? And he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. God loves you deeply. And Jesus went to that wonderful cross where he gave his life that you would have extraordinary, extraordinary life. So what decision do you need to make today? Gracious God, God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, you are amazing in grace and in gentleness. You give kindness. We don't deserve it. God, you call us to abundant life, you offer it freely. It's free to us, but it was not cheap for you. It costs the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would reach out in faith now and grab hold of what it is that you so graciously offer. If there's anyone in here that needs to give their life to Christ for the first time, Lord, would you open up that heart now that they would step into grace For all of us, Lord, who do fight this desire for things of the world, Lord, help us to just desire you, the taste of your grace, and for that to be more than sufficient. And to know that the real show, the real majesty is in the next life anyway. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.